You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my Brave Australia, dedicated to breaking stigma one story at a time. I'm Jane Grace from Red Flag Canberra. And I'm Tim Daly from This Is My Brave Australia, and you're listening to Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest. Hello. Um, hello to you, Tara Apps. We're really glad to have you joining us from Marathon Health. And you're joined by myself, Jane Grace, from Red Flag Canberra, and Tim Daly from This Is My Brave Australia. Hello, Tara. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. So, Tara, um, could you, you currently work at Marathon Health here in the ACT. Um, could you describe your role and also give us an idea of the kind of geography that you cover as well? Um, okay, so my current role is as a care coordinator, a coordinator or social and emotional wellbeing officer um, across uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth. So predominantly my role is based in YAS, um, extending through the YAS region, but I also do the social and emotional wellbeing across Canberra. So Marathon holds quite a large footprint in western New South Wales and is slowly um, staggering its way across southeast New South Wales and the ACT regions. And what kind of back, Aboriginal background do your client group come from? Is it very mixed? Um... Um, a lot of my clients or current clients and, um, and referrals we receive are from young people, um, mainly identifying from zero to 25 year olds um, that have a quite traumatic past. Now, whether that trauma is through barriers um, of cultural identity or whether they've suffered traumatic experiences. Is intergenerational trauma a feature of your work? It is a feature. It's not something that we um, we strongly uh jump on straight away it's something that normally comes through as we engage with clients and we find their typical presenting um, issues and the need for referral isn't always related to intergenerational trauma but it is it does slowly um, surface well I, I identify as an Aboriginal woman from um, Wiradjuri country and Ngunnawal country um, but I've also done my nursing or Bachelor of Nursing um, with a strong background in mental health um, with passing uh, learnings in um, alcohol and other drugs and trauma Um, and then I've also spent a large time in management and business management and um, business development. Right and did you study in the ACT or elsewhere? I studied in central Queensland. Oh really right. Yeah. Was that through uh, university or hospital-based? or No, so that was uh, a mixture. So that was through the Central Queensland University um, and with placements all throughout regional Queensland. Oh, so you'd have a very good understanding then of some of the rural health needs? Yeah, so a lot of the rural health needs can present from, um, you know, something very something very basic as if loneliness, which then progresses into some other type of mental illness. Um, right through to drug comorbidities, which can increase other, you know, mental illnesses that we see from um, the use of prescription drugs and misuse of alcohol and others. 
And did you see, say, for example, a lot of um, ice use um, in your time as a nurse? A little bit within more of the professional um, communities and people with very strong backgrounds in, and careers. Was it something that was obvious to the outside observer that they were dealing Definitely with this? Definitely not. Definitely not. We we call them a functioning drug user. Right. So um, to the to the unaware eye, you wouldn't say that they aren't coping and they're, they're turning to another um, coping mechanism. Um, you'd say they're very, very well respected in the community, but there are a lot of people among us that um, have these issues and, and need uh, need a, a different substance to get by each day. Oh, and uh, did you have a view as to whether it was sort of trauma or some kind of mental illness that, well, I mean, are you able to say what you think might be behind their use? I don't think anybody could speculate that, but a lot of different people present with different issues that, um, you know, that can stimulate the need to turn and, and the non-coping mechanism. And so it's it's not just something that's onset to one particular person. It's more something that um, I guess you could almost call it a domino effect when it becomes too much. Uh. The, the typical people I seen were um, affected by many different things. And it could be, I mean, we're talking about self-medication here for some underlying problems, but it could have been ice, it could have been alcohol, it could have been anything, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, the the recipe list is massive. Um, whether it is prescription drugs and, and misuse of it or whether it is, um, you know, the need to drink copious amounts of alcohol to cope. It, each, in the per, each person is very individual in how they, how they normally follow a suit. Um, and, and like I said, every single person that came normally presented with a different issue. But once you got you broke through the barriers, it, it is all very trauma-related or very mental health-related. Do you think that, because there's been a little bit of talk about it, there'll be an escalation of mental health issues because of COVID-19, not just across the community, but also the frontline workers. Do you think that that's going to be an issue going forward? Um, I think definitely it's, it's something that needs to be on our radars because... Uh, we all know that loneliness impacts us all differently. Um, now, whether that loneliness has come from being, uh, you know, generally COVID-related and then the needs to isolate or whether there's um, additional barriers, that there's there's job loss, there's um, family loss due to actual COVID-related health issues. Um, I, I do think we are, we are going to see detrimental effects within mental health and we will see escalation um, of use among substance users but also we will see um, where this, the services and systems haven't been able to provide frontline service and help. Uh, I guess we're going to see a lot of people who were engaged at one point who have dropped off the radar and may have fallen backwards. Yes, I've been reading a lot about that. I mean, just all across the board, especially um, medical treatment for, for various complaints is dropped off the board because the overlying um, focus was on COVID-19 and people are dropping off, even having some people having their um, cancer treatments have dropped off. So, Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I think we're, we're not going to see immediately on our scope, um, it, but it's something we're going to see over time slowly creep and, and rise its head through yeah jane and i were talking about this the other day as well and it's come up locally in canberra i'm wondering if you're finding it too 
um, is that because of the uh, stimulus package, especially for people on low incomes, um, there's a group of people who have spent that money on drugs. And um, unfortunately, there's a bit of a wave of people who are a a little bit out of control out there at the moment and unfortunately no access to the services that are usually provided for them. Yeah, and that's definitely at the forefront of um, most of our community health organisations' minds and workers and service providers. But the people who aren't engaging and have now have previously lived in lower socioeconomic um, communities with lower incomes have now received almost a boost which in some ways is a great thing but in other ways it hasn't been managed. Now with your experience in Queensland um, so actually what was the story behind you moving from Queensland to um, the ACT? Um, So originally I was born and raised in Yass so just outside of ACT and I moved up to Queensland with my partner at the time he um, was on a large construction site. So I followed him and took my children and we set up camp up there for six years um, and went off country. And then uh, once I got my degree and some experience and whatnot, I headed back south. Oh, right. And did you find, like, what was your impressions of what the issues were up in Queensland compared to what you're seeing down here in the Yes, Canberra region? Do you think they're comparable? Is there anything different about the ACT and surrounds? Look, if if I'm to be quite frank about anything, it, there's no real comparison because where I was, I was in um, Gladstone, which is still regional Queensland, but it still progresses with quite financial people. Um, and it's quite comparable to that of the likes of Canberra, where we have a lot of public servants who um, receive nice, healthy incomes. And we also have the lower socioeconomic um, development areas where people struggle. It's exactly the same up there. Um, and because it's rural and remote and it's not really classed as metropolitan, the services or outreach or telehealth or, you know, a, a visiting service once a week or it's very, very much a path of path in that kind of relationship. Right. And what happens if people are in crisis? What are your options up there as a worker? They're very similar to the way down here. So out in Yass, um, we seek out a referral. We seek out another another help avenue, another path. And typically through the public system, you go on a waiting list and you you have to engage with that client at, at the best you can and, and keep them on track the best you can until you can receive extra help. Mm, so with young people... Um, what facilities do they go to? Like, say, if if you've got a 17-year-old who's suicidal, where would you refer? Is there anywhere to refer them in this area? So if we're talking about Canberra, we automatically, we we work very well with um, the the CAMS, the mental health unit at the hospitals, um, and we get them help immediately. And that's especially if they're an identified risk and at a heightened risk of of self-harm. That's at the forefront of getting them help immediately. Um, As soon as you start throwing around words like suicide and and, um, self-hurt and um, self-harm and the likes of, they tend to be seen quite, they, yeah, they tend to be seen quite fast and their, their case is escalated through the systems. Sadly, out in Yass, where we're a bit more regional, 
Yeah. Um, it's almost like the Bermuda Triangle as such. Yeah. When um, you're out here, you really need to identify the, the different risk categories and the different patterns that are occurring with your young person. Um, and uh, similarly, you do you, you, the New South Wales Health. Um, and them guys are great and they respond as fast as they possibly can, uh, given the barriers they have. And, and normally um, you get a, a Southern Health District um, representative jump in and help you and you utilise the ambulance service. And what hospital would they go to? Uh, so Yass Hospital is where they would go in Yass. Right. Uh, Canberra, the uh, the Canberra Hospital is the one in Canberra that we mainly refer into. Right. Do, do you find that... Um people from Aboriginal communities in the regional areas uh, use Canberra as a hub because of the um, the better facilities and the quicker access to facilities? Um, sadly, I can't agree with that because out here in Yass, it seems to be that the border between Yass and Canberra creates large issues for, especially for families and individuals who don't have the means of transport to just jump in a car and head across. Um, we also don't have a public transport that runs frequently. I know there's one each day that runs to Canberra. Um, but when you're having a crisis and when you're having a bad day, that doesn't normally fit in with your, the timeline of the local bus. Um, whereas those who are in Canberra have access to a lot more services. Whilst the services are still minimal, they're, they're, they're easier to reach for community. Right. And so with the Yas Hospital, so they have... Um, so do you know how many beds they have, like how big their mental health um, ward is? They don't actually have a mental health oh, they ward. Don't. They, have, oh. they ha have holding beds for people who need help. Um, and the nurses up there are lovely and they, they definitely um, are, are able to jump on board very quickly and meet the needs of the client and their patient. Um, but most patients get transferred out and get transferred to Goulburn if they're at high risk. Oh, all the way to Goulburn. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so the whole regional, um, the whole regional aspect of Yas almost gives it a remoteness, even though we're only say forty minutes from the border. Right. Well, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who lives in Queanbeyan, and for their uh, mental health telehealth um, appointment, they have to go to Goulburn because they're speaking to somebody in Sydney even though five minutes across the border, you'd be in Canberra and talk to somebody here. So I totally understand what you're saying about that demarcation line between the ACT and the rest of New South Wales. Yeah, that's what, and that's why um, a lot of service providers out, out here in this area, we call it the Bermuda Triangle. So if you're anywhere between Yas, Queanbeyan and Goulburn, you kind of get lost in between. So um, you, you normally have to refer on very strong-willed people who want to help you to get you get you to where you need to be and is there in any of these facilities is there an awareness of cultural safety type issues like are you able to make a comparison between the way say Canberra Hospital or any of the other hospitals you've mentioned um, particularly respond to people with an Aboriginal identity yeah so in my practice I've always found that um I can only really relate to psychologists and psychiatrists and nurses who um, help when you present with a client. Um, they have always been very culturally appropriate, very culturally aware and 
um, inclusive. So they don't just jump straight on the, okay, you're an Aboriginal, let's deal with you this way. Um, They're very, very holistic in their approaches. Um, And I, I, idealistically, I would say that they're very culturally safe amongst the entire network. Right. So you you actually have found levels of, have you found examples where it's appalling? Like, is that something where you've had to advocate uh, strongly for your clients? Um, not so much, no, because I've always been on the very forefront and very frank and honest with who I am and who I represent and the work that needs to be done. So while whenever I put in a referral for one of my clients, I always make it very um, aware to everybody that my client is of Aboriginal identification um, and does present with A, B, C, D. So I haven't, I haven't really found anything that is negative. Obviously, I can't speak for the entire population of people who work in our sector because um, I read horrific stories also. But right. I've found in the area the issues that arise are able to be dealt with with the services we have as long as you have, like, you're in that position to, to push the right way. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, and this is my brave Australia. What mental health issues do you commonly come up with your client group, which is primarily uh, Aboriginal youth? Um, so across Yas and Canberra, a lot of my um, youth have... Uh, trauma backgrounds now whether that be something that stemmed from intergenerational family trauma domestic violence um, bullying in schools drug use from a from a young age um, uh, some of our our youth that show up and ha- are struggling with mental health have got um, a previous uh, previous experiences with justice and incarceration um, but then also we have no, I, I can think of a couple right now off the top of my head that that are just, you know, have somehow ended up in this, this system and um, although they're very young, they've been influenced by very poor poor behaviours and poor education, um, which has encouraged them to not be on the right path. They obviously uh, present with some mental health issues, but what other health issues do they tend to present with as well? Um, so a lot of uh, because of a lot of people who um, that I work with, when they present with a mental health issue or a mental health um, diagnosis, a lot of them have a background in either um, poor nutrition, um, uh, poverty, the inability to gain um, housing, or their their couch hopping. So whilst they may not be a diagnosis, they're definitely contributing factors to increasing the issues they have and the, the issues they have to deal with. So, you know, off the top of my head, there's a couple of young ones I've helped um, just access food out here in Yas just to literally get some food because whilst they're dealing with everything else that's happening, food is the last thing they're able to come by without going through avenues that we, you know, we all want to steer them clear away from. And would, uh, would there be any capacity for them to learn sort of cooking skills that type of thing is that something oh there there definitely is and that's something we work on them with um when we're able to get them into a position where they feel safe within themselves and while they're coping 
um, they and we can get them to return to school or we can get them to return to, to groups. Um, we encourage them to start life skills, um, whether that's, like I said, through school or we get them to TAFE or um, we get them into different youth groups. But a lot of them, our, our very forefront issue is, is getting them stable and getting them the help they need to survive the first couple of days when they come onto our radar. So it sounds like you, t you take a very holistic approach to their health overall, not just treating the symptoms, but trying to change some of the circumstances that they're in. Yeah, and that, that's something that, um, not just as a nurse, that's something that Marathon Health does really strongly too. We don't just treat the, the presenting problem. We, pre we, we you know, venture in as a holistic approach. We bring in services from all different avenues. We, we go across our own network in Marathon Health and we, we get um, information and education across dietitians and, um, you know, psychologists. And we work closely with other professionals to make sure that we're meeting the needs of each, an ind each individual young person for what they present with, but what they also have going on in the rest of their lives. Do you have the resources to also reach out to their family groups as well? Yeah, so that's also dependent on each individual. Some some of our individuals and young clients come to come to us without or with poor family um, connections, um, and where that is occurring, we we pop in place different um, different trees of help. So different support trees, different people that can support them. Whether that's somebody at the school, whether that's uh, somebody in the mental health team, whether that's myself. Now. I have myself, you know, stood up and become a support person for one of my individual clients who had nobody else to turn to. And that's something that Marathon Health strongly um, stands by is making sure that each individual is treated as an individual and, and should their needs be met, we can do what we can to meet their needs. Do you find that, that <laughs> that's going above and beyond as, as much as I can see, but do you find that, that that's what's needed in the job, that you just can't? Uh, cut somebody else from, off from that support because it's five o'clock in the afternoon? Look, um, as an Aboriginal person in an Aboriginal workforce, my community means more to me than a nine-to-five job. So um, these kids are our emerging our emerging leaders, our, our emerging adults. These these kids are going to be our future. Now, if, if I look at that from two different perspectives, I can look at that in um, I need them to be ready and willing to take up the community stance that they need to take up when they're ready but I also we as a you know as a generation we need them to be ready to come up and help you know take on take on the issues that we face each day so myself yes it whilst it's a nine-to-five job I've never seen myself as that and and to be a nurse I don't know anybody who can be a nurse and see their job as a nine-to-five role it, it never happens like that um you need to be holistic and your approach needs to be very nurturing. I mean, that sort of nearly answered our next question, which was how important is it working with youth? And like you said, they're the, they're the leaders of tomorrow. So the more effort that you put into them, hopefully reap some rewards in the future, especially for the future of um, the Aboriginal communities. Yeah, and so Aboriginal communities, you know, if we, if we don't stick together and we don't get our youth coming through strong, um, then we're, we're not going to have emerging elders, you know, 
it, it it's just going to be something that we can't we can't contain and we can't help if we don't get a handle on it now. Is there any early intervention programs happening with with younger uh, children? Um, so definitely in the Canberra area, there's um, positive parenting. There's, um, you know, a circles of serenity. There's lots of things going on to, with young parents and young kids to get them all on the right track, to get them into the right, the right services and the right support systems. Um, yes, um, we work with the likes of Anglicare um, there's, and, you know, uh, Mission Australia. And we, we do work closely with the departments um, to make sure that the, the kids that are emerging are, are getting the right help and are on the right track from as early as we can possibly be. So do you have an um, outreach into some of the youth detention centres or how would um, those kids find their way to you? So personally, I don't outreach into them, but I have received referrals from um, off country from some young ones that have come out from services and, and doing some community service and whatnot out in uh like out in country uh, Cowra, where a couple of them have come from. Oh, so, okay. and we help them integrate back into community and integrate, um, and offer them support. And we almost become their stepping stone to to getting them setting set up here. Um, now, a lot of them we try and advocate very strongly that we get them to return into a an education platform. Now, whether that be an apprenticeship and you know a higher education. Um, or CIT, but we also do that in Canberra as well. We we um, walk with a lot of young ones to try and get them into CIT programs, um, even when they've had a, a rough start. So whilst we don't service in, we definitely take serve, uh, referrals when they're coming out and we help them return to mainstream life as, as much as we possibly can. And are you having success with that, with that, those strategies? Um. You know, it's it's really a flip of the coin type thing. We can get a couple of a couple of really good ones that fly through the system, and you know, there's one one young girl I can I can fondly speak of out here that um, when I, when she first came onto my um, my list, she was not in a good place. Um, and over I think about nine months of working with her, we were you know marathon and myself and and a couple of other organisations were able to bring her. To the top, we got her to graduate high school. Um, we were able to get her help with an eating disorder, with drug use. She got her license. She was able to identify her family, and now she's in a TAFE program. A great story. Yeah, and I, I imagine that's a great motivator for you in your in your work to see those success stories come up and know that you've been involved in um, helping a youth to chart their course in their adult life. Oh, most definitely. And, and now she even, you know, when I see her on passing, she's, she, while she's still in the program, but on a very minimal engagement, she, you know, just passing by on the street, because Yas is a small place. She says, oh, I, I can't wait until I can do work like you do. You know, I want to help kids like me. So that really gives me that, you know, that heart filling and, and warming, um, just that kind of notion that I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's wonderful. And sort of what opportunities are there for Aboriginal youth in Yass and um, in the surrounding areas? Um, so whilst a lot of our employers prior to COVID, I should speak, um, were very engaging and wanting to help, um, 
we find most of the opportunities come through Queanbeyan and through Goulburn and through Canberra. There's not a lot in Yass. Um, but whilst we can get them into programs here, a lot of them do venture away. Right. So they have to lo- leave their family. Yeah. So place. Yass is a typical small place where we do have the taste, but a lot of the taste and the apprenticeships that run through the taste need to be um, executed in other areas. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, and this is my brave Australia. This is a this is a large question. So, um, how do you think mental health systems need to be reshaped to better address the need of Aboriginal youth? I know you could probably go on for days about how things need to change, but what, what in your opinion, needs to change right now? Um, so I think, uh, and there's no bias here, because I think um, places like Marathon Health are doing it very well at the moment. They're identifying that, okay, so maybe the very first week or two weeks, you're not going to have a 1,000 clients run through your door, but you have to be there for the long run. So something within culture is all about trust. Now, with trust, to get trust, it takes time. It's not something that you're going to get 10 referrals in the first week, but when they trickle through, the trust is gained. So um, a lot of, when I say, um, you know, things that need to be considered, is that this when you pop something into place, don't think it's going to work straight away. It's not something that's going to work straight away. It needs to be something that you are patient with and that you are ready to identify the needs as they arise very slowly. So um, something that I I pursued through Marathon Health was to take um, the the standard approach of let's work out of hospitals and let's do this and do that and let's offer a drop-in clinic, I took the approach to go into schools and speak at schools and offer my help in a school scenario, which we found a dramatic shift in, in referrals from that. So thinking outside the square and just because a mainstream service says that you sit and wait for a referral, that's not how it works in culture. So do you think that the, that sort of um, status quo approach is affected by the fact that government funding demands these type of things and not thinking outside the box? Um, I think that when programs are developed, uh, there's not a lot of grassroots experience that goes into them. I think there's idealistic experience that goes into them and thinks this is a great way to do it. This is how we're going to help the most people. Um, But when it comes to the realism, you need to have the experience of what's worked before and what hasn't. It's sort of down the path, well, not sort of down the path, exactly down the path of peer support, isn't it? Yeah, so it is It is very much down the path of peer support. But I think in across many, um, you know, cultures and I guess across many countries and across a country, sorry, and mobs, you're going to find the same thing. A lot of people don't show up on your doorstep looking for help. And that, that's across um, so many different sectors as well. You know, yes, you get the people who are sadly diagnosed with cancer. They will show up for help. But the people who are suffering from mental illness and substance abuse and intergenerational trauma and, you know, bullying and and other types of barriers, they don't normally call out for help. They are the type that walk um, carefully around your edges of your building. They want help, but they don't know how to ask. 
So how um, could you take us through the steps of how someone enters your program? What would be the main MET pathways in? Yeah, so um, across the two different programs, so the one in Canberra and the one in Yass, they differ slightly, but they have the same context. So the one in Yass is very much large referral base from the schools, um, from where teachers and, and social and emotional workers identify that kids just aren't doing well. Now, whether they're just not doing well on the surface or whether there's other things shining through, um, we, we gather a lot of referrals from that way. We also gather referrals from uh, the hospitals and, and health services, doctor surgeries, um, where, uh, you know, kids, kids are presenting and they're just not doing well or they've done a program with the health sector and they're ready for voluntary um, service providing then. So we present as a voluntary service. We're not a forced service and we're not something that kids have to engage with. So they, they have to want to engage with us to stay in it. And that's what we find a lot of kids do. Once once they see that we're trustworthy and we're there and we're we're you know we're happy to help them and we we get them back on their feet, they do engage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so mostly from yes, they come from schools and the um, the mental health team. Whereas in Canberra, we find that services and refer into us uh, the likes of schools as well, mental health teams, but we also have other Aboriginal. Um, programs that help refer into us like um, Galgon and um, the AMS and um, the uh, CYPS, which is the Child Youth and Protection Service. Um, and then there's other organisations which we, you know, we do inter-organisational referrals and we help each other. So we're talking about, um, you know, after school care and that kind of thing as well. Oh, oh, I should also note too, the police out here in Yaz, they, we, we get some referrals from them guys. They're great. You know, they, they acknowledge that, that somebody just needs a bit of extra help and a bit of extra support to get them on the right track and, yeah. Oh, that's positive. And how is it paid for? Does the, does the client pay or who, how is that arranged? No, so, so across the two different programs, the one in Yaz and Canberra, they're both uh, funded by funders. So the one out here in Yaz is... Coordinator, which is a PHN. So oh, okay. Fund- so it's block funding. Okay. Yep. So they're funding, and so is Canberra. They're through the Capital Health Network, the CHN, and they um, they guide our, you know, the way that we service the areas um, and the programs we deliver, and they they give us the funds that, you know, make so much difference and and change in so many people's lives. So so there's no cost barrier for those. No. For those clients. No. 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 There's no, there's no, and with the Canberra program in specific, there's no cap. So there's no 10, okay, you've reached your 10, have fun, goodbye, we can't see you anymore. You're not, like, they're not capped. You you come and you see and you get your help and we help you. So when when a young person arrives to um, to meet up with you, how, what's their reaction to you? Is it how... Um, easy or hard is it to engage with them if they've been around through other services so and i think a lot of my colleagues will stand for this i'm a very 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 easy to get along with person i never come across as anybody i'm not and i'm always relaxed i'm always very chilled out very relaxed i um you know i'm a nurse i'm covered in tattoos which is is not standard for a lot of nurses 
Um, and I just sit down and chill to them and, and talk with them. And I invite them into my space and I tell them, you know, a little bit about myself and um, I be myself and I, I open the floor for them to talk or I just sit, you know, I, I offer them to sit there and just listen to me wobble on. And, and normally, you know, within the first session, I've normally got them talking and laughing and we're normally talking about the most irrelevant things, but it opens up that space for trust and engagement. In the current environment of, of COVID-19, how have you had to change your approach? Um, so that's something we have really had a struggle with because obviously we haven't been able to meet kids face-to-face. Um, uh, we've had a drop in engagement, but that's not because the kids don't want to engage. That's because a lot of them don't want to sit in front of a, te- a, a computer screen and don't want to do a teleconference. So whilst we've had a lot of face-to-faces drop off we've maintained you know communications over phone calls and text conversations where possible um that's a generation we're dealing with a lot of them love to text and you know tell you how they're going via text and they ask for help via text so we've had to step along with the with the roads of communication and, and be very holistic around how we provide to them now one thing I have wondered about, um, with a lot of services being delivered by um, telly this and telly that, is there a bit of an assumption that people will even have the computer equipment and the data and all of that stuff? Is that a bit of a assumption that from a socioeconomic point of view that everybody can engage in that way anyway? Yeah. I don't want to say it's a bit of an, an, an assumption. I'm, I'm hopeful that we can return to a normal world as soon as possible. My, my biggest concern is that um, the people who have become very comfortable in this, in this environment will stay in this environment and not be able to jump back out. All oh, right. But my fear is that people look at it because it's actually a very cost-effective way to run programs. And I'm just a bit worried that people will latch on to that and go, no, we're not going to go back to the old way. We're going to go back to this way, which will unfortunately leave a group of people out where there would be those people on the lower socioeconomic um, level or age people who don't get the technology. Yeah, so a lot of the... So it's not so much, um, you know, the the age of the people that don't get the technology. Our clientele all gets it. I'm hopeful that they're able to engage at a larger percentage after this because they've been avoiding the likes of teleconferencing due to many different barriers, whether that's just they don't have access or they just don't like sitting in front of a a camera. Um, But I do have concerns for those with mental illness and that that have gained comfort in doing all of this from their own home and will no longer engage in face-to-face once we return to a normal world. Yes, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? They'll slip back into the isolation that they found so comfortable before. And, yeah, a little bit of work will be needed to get them back out of that situation. Yeah, and, and I think it will take a lot of work and it will also take a lot of trust too, that they can trust that they can walk into a service provider and that they're going to be okay. They're not going to get sick or they're not going to, you know... Um, have, have things go on like what? as in they're not going to be you know susceptible to COVID or um, you know be treated like a COVID patient or whatnot 
What about just the sheer costs of like engaging like through data and that? I, I mean, I know so many kids who are always out of data and always trying to load up their data. Is that something that is an issue for your clients? Um, not so much. A lot of our kids somehow always make make do and, and come by very well. Um and don't have issues, you know, getting getting what they need. Oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I just, I just I, I'm always hearing like of kids out of data. I don't know. No, that's just your kids saying to you, "I don't no, want to I ring know. you today because I haven't got enough data." No, no, no. <laughs> I just hear it. I just I do hear it. So I, I just kind of I've wondered with our whole transfer to this e world whether it's leaving a whole lot of people that just aren't able to participate for various reasons, you know, whether it's the assumption that people have got access to computing and know how to use things and all of that. Jane is a well-known distruster of technology, so <laughs> that no, worries No, but I mean, me. I think there's a real issue, particularly, you know, for people from other cultural backgrounds as well who may not have... Um, had access to it in there when they've been growing up. I just think there's some big assumptions made about the way we deal with government and, you know, the assumption that people can use these things easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. I, and the assumption is that a lot of people can use these things easily, but when you have a lot of things going on, um, the, uh, you know, sitting face-to-face is the last thing you want to do. And as we all know, face-to-face is the ultimate, isn't it, to get through to somebody and start supporting them. And, I mean, you brought it up before. I mean, I run an organisation where we use storytelling to get through to people with mental health issues, and basically that's what you're talking about, isn't it, getting people in face-to-face and getting them slowly but surely to tell their story. Yeah. That's it. And it's not something you can just... Especially the newer ones that we've engaged with over time, it's not something that you can um, you can just say, "Oh, sorry, we can't no longer meet face to face. Sorry, I've got to put you in front of a computer." Um, that's that's not a, way, a good way to maintain trust. Like they've they've become comfortable in a certain way, and then when you change things, it's not that easy. Mm. So, just um, drawing things together. <laughs> What would you like to see in an ideal world for young Aboriginal people with mental health issues? Um, so I guess, yeah, I'd like to see fair, holistic services like that of what Marathon Health is offering. Um, you know, I, I, I stand so proudly by how Marathon advocates and, and wants to get out there into our cultures and help. Um, and I, I think what... what we as an organisation and myself as an individual provide needs to be accessible to every every single person in the country, whether you identify or not, you know, whether you're an Aboriginal person with a mental illness or whether you're a Western person with a mental illness, it needs to be fair. Like we need to have these things for everybody and, and not have them just, you know, hidden, hidden under rocks in the corner of a room. They need to be more accessible and they need to be more broadcasted and, yeah, I'm I'm a big advocate for we're not here just to help one person we're here to help a whole you know a whole community. Well, it's been really um, refreshing to hear your organisation and your um, approach to helping people. Like I, I think so many other services 
could benefit from hearing this interview and the way you guys go about um, working with your with your client group. Um, it's just so nice to hear about a genuinely holistic approach. So thank you very much for sharing with us how you go about things and how Marathon Health, health um, approaches its clients. And, no, no. and thank you very much for the work that you do. Um, th- there needs to be more Taras out there, I think. Yeah, and thank so refreshing you. to hear that you don't, like, you know, pull the shingle o- closed at 5 o'clock. It's lovely oh, to hear about that commitment and passion to your your group. Look, I don't think anybody could work in this place if that's what you if that's what you relied on a nine to five network. It would never happen. Um, you need to be very nurturing and understanding and very open to negotiation around what needs to happen to get things to happen. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Tara. It's been an absolute joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of Marathon Health. No worries. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Tara. Thank you, Tara. Bye. Bye. This podcast was presented and produced by Red Flag Canberra. And this is my brave Australia. Thank you for listening.